You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. All right, so this morning's reading comes from Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30, and then 36 to 43. So if you want to turn with me there to Matthew 13. All right, the parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like someone who planted good seed in his field. While people were sleeping, an enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and went away. When the stalks sprouted and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. The servants of the landowner came and said to him, Master, didn't you plant good seed field? Then how is it that it has weeds? An enemy has done this. He answered, the servants said to him, do you want us to go and gather them? But the landowner said, no, because if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with them. Let both grow side by side until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll say to the harvesters, first, gather the weeds and tie them together in bundles to be burned. But bring the wheat into my barn. I'm catching up at verse 36. Jesus left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, The one who plants the good seed is the human one, or as your translations might say, son of man. The field is the world, and the good seeds are the followers of the kingdom. But the weeds are the followers of the evil one. The enemy who planted them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the present age. The harvesters are the angels. Just as people gather weeds and burn them in the fire, so it will be at the end of the present age. Human, the human one will send his angels, and they will gather out of, gather out of, <laughs> gather out of his kingdom all things that cause people to fall away and all people who sin. He will throw them into a burning furnace. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Those who have ears should hear. Amen. Thank you, Greg. As he said, my name is Blair, and uh, it's my privilege to be sharing from God's Word with you this morning. Uh, It's November, so we're going through uh, a shorter uh, sermon series. It's about a month long, where we're looking at some a selection of Jesus' parables or Jesus' stories, and these are parables about the kingdom of heaven, right? So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this, or the, the kingdom of God can be compared to that. And it's good because in reading these, we, we get an explanation or, or a bigger picture or a more accurate picture of what the, what the kingdom of heaven is, right? Like what it's like, what it means, because it's very important to for us in our uh, living out this following of Jesus and and working and being in the kingdom which he brought with him and established and yet anticipating the kingdom come in its uh, perfect fulfillment when Jesus returns, which he spoke of uh, at the end of this particular parable. I find this parable, um, on one hand, it's not the it's not I don't. I didn't find it the easiest one uh, to write about or or to prepare for, to know what to say about. It's quite challenging. There's parts in it that were confusing to me. Um, On the other hand, I feel fortunate and blessed because uh, this is one of the parables where um, 
the disciples, you know, they, they said to Jesus, uh, can you explain this to us? Because surely they felt similar to myself when they heard the story, right, about, about agriculture and the farmer and, and the enemy and, and what does it all mean? So um, it's, it's nice that I don't necessarily have to stand here to interpret it for you because Jesus has done this for us, and, and I'm thankful for that. So what I will be doing is um, there's a, a couple smaller points of interest that I thought were uh, worth mentioning or, or important for us to know or think about, uh, you know, in regards to this parable and other ones. And so I'll, I'll make those first, and then after that, I kind of had two um, had two main points or, or things that that I really felt strongly about in reading this passage. Now I, I realize that that's only two main points. So I was telling people this morning, I'm not sure if I can call it a sermon if it's not three points. That's up to you to decide. But there's also two half points. So two and a half plus two halves plus two equals three. So it's essentially three points. Take it how you will. Or you can call it a message or sharing if if it doesn't sound like a sermon. That's okay. Um, Okay, so... Like I said, the, the disciples said to Jesus, you know, they had questions like, what, what is this? You know, can you explain it to us? So he did, which we read. We skipped a few verses in between the parable and the explanation just because there's kind of smaller, you know, parables uh, tucked in there for a few verses. So we jumped down to verse 36. And Jesus' answer to them is it's very direct and succinct. It's short and sweet. Uh, he says, you know, the... Um, they say, explain to us the parable of the field. Jesus replied, the one who plants the good seed is the human one, meaning himself. The field is the world, and the good seeds are the followers of the kingdom, and so on. So Jesus says the farmer is, is that the farmer or the owner of the field in this parable is himself. Now, the first thing I wanted to point out is that we, we have to pay attention when we're reading we should always pay attention when we're reading the Bible, but we have to pay attention closely. Um, you know, when we read, especially going through a series, we have a parable last week, we have a parable this week, another one next week. And and so it's easy, um, if we're lazy, to kind of take what we've learned in one and then just um, assume it throughout the rest, right? That that they all kind of blend together into one, one big story or whatever, which um, ultimately is true, but in the details it's not. Because last week, if you remember... Uh, Pastor Greg was sharing about the parable of the sower who is planting seeds on different kinds of soil. And and he taught us that the, the farmer who is planting seeds is not necessarily God or Jesus, but it's the one who would uh, share the good news with someone else, right? The seeds represent the gospel going into people's hearts. And so you or I could be that that character in that parable. Um, so so now we're here in a different parable. And, and I'm, I mean, Jesus makes it clear. He says, I'm the farmer. But we can't, uh, you know, forget that it's different in the previous parable or else these small things can lead us to kind of interpret what Jesus says in slightly different ways. But it still matters, I think. Um, so we should pay attention and not, not necessarily apply preconceived notions to something else or read between the lines and find things that aren't actually even there. Um, speaking of reading between the lines, in the next thing that Jesus says, that the field is the world... Uh, people actually argue about that. They disagree and, and debate, and there's two, two sides or more, you know, on, on how Jesus says, well, the field is the world. And we're thinking, well, what is there to argue about? That's a very simple thing to say. 
that the field is the world, but I'll explain it to you. There's some people who hear that, and, and especially in Christianity, when we, when we hear someone say the world, what comes to mind? What do you think the world means? Well, some people hear that, and, and as a Christian, the world can mean um, not the church, right? It can mean the perishing world or the lost or, or the physical uh, the realm that's going to pass away at the end of all time or whatever. And so uh, the reason that, that I bring this up is because someone can read this, this passage and say, uh, Jesus saying, well, the field is the world. And, and then if they believe that, that, if we believe that, that means that this parable is not really about the church. It's not for... Uh, Christians, it's not about what we're doing. You know, it's about when we're out there and finding weeds um, outside of these walls. So it sort of makes sense. But I would suggest that that's not really the, the most useful application of this. I think that when Jesus says the world, he, he means the world, right? He means like the earth, the globe, and everything in it, which in this in this age includes the church, right? That's each one of us. And the reason that this is important to me is because now when we read this parable and, and, and hear Jesus talking about weeds and, and he's, he's warning us about the activity of the enemy and stuff, we're paying attention here and now, right, in our own walls. We're not oblivious to the activity of what, what the devil will be trying to do um, in a church, in a local church, because we somehow think it's, that this isn't about that. Well, it is. That is what this parable tells us about. So Jesus is the farmer, and then he says that the field is a symbol of the world. So we need to pay attention. So those were the half points. That kind of leads me to, to, to my first main point, where uh, speaking of the world and the enemy and, and the activity of this, this, this enemy who's gone and planted weeds and stuff. And this is more of a reminder, I guess, than anything else. It's not news to us. But this parable tells us something very important, and it is that we have an enemy. There is an enemy. There's someone at work uh, to destroy, to attempt to destroy the work of God in, in any capacity, right, that he can. And he'll do it uh, with lies. He'll do it craftily and sneakily. And, and, and um, that's, that's the work of, of the evil one, Satan. And, and this is what Jesus is telling us about. And it's important for us. We, I think we, especially, you know, today, it's 2017. We're not overly spiritual. or We don't think of ourselves as being very religious or spiritual. So we just kind of, we want to turn a blind eye. Right to to the fact that Jesus speaks clearly to the activity of of the spiritual battle, and there's all kinds of other metaphors in Scripture for this activity. But but we, we just kind of I don't know do this and and think that that's not not a part of life, or it's not a part of what we're doing. We don't have to be concerned with it or, or care about it or whatever. It just doesn't matter. I don't want to think about it. Jesus, so Jesus brings it up and says it's real. This is happening, and we are facing a, an opponent. And he's crafty. Satan is is very crafty. I was okay. So last week, Greg was emphatic that he was not a farmer. Um, I think that was his main point <laughs> last week. Greg's not a farmer. Got it. I remember that. That was the takeaway. So, ditto. <laughs> um, surprise, surprise. I'm also not a farmer. I've I hang around farms once in a while, but I don't really know much about agriculture. And so um, 
I, I learned something new when I was reading about this parable and, and about the weeds um, in the footnotes of my Bible and, I, and elsewhere as well. Different people suggested that um, there's a particular kind of weed that Jesus was probably talking about in this agriculture story. And I'd never heard of it before. Maybe you have. It's called Darnell. Um, I'll read to you a description. I sent Jordan a picture of it as well, which uh, if you got, he'll show us. This is a description from the web. Darnell usually grows in the same production zones as wheat and was a serious weed of cultivation until modern sorting machinery enabled Darnell seeds to be separated efficiently from seed wheat. The similarity between these two plants is so great that in some regions, Darnell is referred to as false wheat. It bears a close resemblance to wheat until the ear appears. So, okay, those are two. There's a couple uh, weeds there. Darnell is the one on the left. And I didn't know what Darnell looks like, but I have seen wheat, and I probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference from glancing at that, that, it was, that there was anything wrong with it, right? That it was an imposter or that, that, that whatever. It looks like wheat to me. Um, but it's, it's far worse. And, and again, I'm not a farmer, so I think I'm not educated on these things. I think, you know, weeds, oh, they're annoying. It's like dandelions or something. It's going to ruin my lawn. And it's just an, an annoyance, right? But it's actually far worse than this, this, this particular plant. Um, it's toxic. It's, it's poisonous. It's really dangerous. Um, if you happen to eat it mistakenly, it'll intoxicate you at best. At worst, it'll kill you. It's also um, important to, or interesting to me at least, to note that um, at the time when Jesus would have told this story, it was illegal to do the thing that he was describing. There's a, there's a Roman law which clearly says, you, if you have an enemy, it's against the law for you to go into his field and plant darnel amongst his wheat. So we hear this and we're thinking like, all right, I'm not going to sneak into my neighbor's garden and plant dandelion. Like we just, it kind of goes over our head, but you know, it would be similar to, we can think of other examples from, from our culture. Like if you, if you're sitting here now and you notice that uh, your neighbor's phone is on the chair next to you and you just kind of on the sly pick it up and start buying stuff on eBay and shipping it to your door, <laughs> that would be illegal, I think. <laughs> I, uh, I hope it's illegal because that's a bad thing to do, right? You're, 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 you're being sneaky, dishonest, breaking the law. You're, you're stealing stuff and, and ruining that person's life, essentially. So um, anyways, the point is, this is a kind of sabotage that when Jesus said this, um, I assume anyways that his, his readers would be like, oh, yeah, you know, this is something that's, it's a practice that would be common enough for them to have to, to make a rule against doing so he speaks to these people um, in their own language in a way that they're familiar with. And the message is pretty clear. Like I said, there's an enemy. He is at work amongst, he's in, at work in the world. He's at, at work amongst us to destroy the good work that, that Jesus has planted and started, the work of the gospel. So the enemy plants weeds to grow at the same time as real wheat. They may even look the same, you know, as real wheat. 
but they're they're toxic. They're not good. They're not followers of of the truth and of the way that is Jesus. They're followers of our enemy. So we need to be aware of this kind of thing, right? We have to be aware and and believe Jesus when he says this and not brush it aside. Other parts in the Bible speak to this and and tell us uh, what to do or how to respond or, or how to be prepared, you know, for the fact that we are in this spiritual battle. Um, Ephesians 6 is a popular set of verses. It talks about the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 to 3 is the beginning. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I want to emphasize that we're strong in him. It's in his might that we have strength to fight this spiritual battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, which surely this is, and having done all, to stand firm. And then he goes on to describe the, the full armor of God, which you can read about in that chapter. But the point is that we face battle. We can be prepared. We should be. We realize that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. It's nothing like that. But that it's spiritual. The plans of our, our spiritual enemy to deceive us, to destroy us, to lead us astray, to cause us to stumble into sin, and so on. So we put on the full armor of God. And we stand firm in the strength of the God. We, in the strength of God, we don't have to just somehow find a way to, to just be strong, you know, in our own in our own way or whatever. We we don't have to invent that or come up with our own ways. We we run to God and find our strength in Him. Okay. We're in a spiritual battle, but the one who's leading the charge is Jesus, and He's declared victory. Now, this kind of leads us to my second main idea. I'm, I'm so thankful for this parable and the way that Jesus, you know, talks about the weeds and, in, and his, the wisdom in his response to his disciples and saying when they ask, what does this mean? Because Jesus knows what Christians will be prone to do. He knows, that, he knows our knee-jerk reactions and the, the mistakes that we're going to fall for or the ways that we're going to act when, when we face problems and stuff. So... I want to read this again. The servants of the landowner came to him and said, Master, didn't you plant good seed in your field? How then is it that it has weeds? So first of all, we're surprised, I guess, when there's problems. Uh, And Jesus says, an enemy has done this. Or the the farmer who represents Jesus says, an enemy has done this. And he answered, uh, the servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them? But the landowner said, no, because if you go gather the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow side by side until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll say to the harvesters, first gather the weeds, tie them together in bundles to be burned, but bring the wheat into my barn. This is such an interesting and important response from Jesus for each of us as well as his disciples today. So they come and say, Master, 
We have to go get rid of these weeds. We've identified them. There's imposters here. We've got to pull them out. They're causing problems. What should we do? Let us take care of them. We'll get it done with now so that the harvest can grow the way that we want it to. After all, these weeds are hazardous, right? Possibly poisonous. They're, they're not good. So you can see why the disciples, or, or the servants, I should say, why the servants would come to their master and say this. Like, there's these weeds. We've got to get rid of them. What should we do? I think that Christians, both then and now, we are too quick to worry about, about weeding the crop before the right time. Right? We look around us and we see this, this age that we live in, which, like I said, is evil. Right? There's, the world has fallen. There's, there's sin. There's problems. And we, we, there's people who disagree with us or who are against our beliefs and practices. And maybe they're very vocal about it or whatever. There's persecution, all kinds of things. We identify these problems and we start calling on God for judgment to say, God, you've got to deal with this. Take these weeds away. Tie them up and burn them. Don't we? I think too often we think this way. We look around and we think, oh, that person's a weed. I wish, I wish that they weren't uh, growing so close to me. <laughs> you know? God, I want you to take this, that person out of my life so that I can just be surrounded by good wheat. Good wheat. wheat and weeds sound too close together. Um, you know, God, won't you just pull that weed out and put me in it or, or, or transplant me to a, maybe a better part of the crop or something? I don't know. To this, Jesus says, relax. No, wait. You keep growing. Let me do the judgment. In Matthew 7, 1 to 2, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. You never know. If we, it's God's grace. <laughs> if we asked him to come in judgment, there's a good chance that we would get uprooted at the same time as the weeds, and just it would be a mess. Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows the beginning, and he knows the end. And at the time when he told this parable, he has the wisdom to give us just a he doesn't tell us, you know, how it's all going to work out in the end, but he says, relax, I know, trust me. So hang tight, grow where you are, and let Jesus do the harvest. So I challenge you with this this morning, because where it leads us to is a place of trusting Jesus. Right? The question is, do we trust him? Do we trust him as the, the landowner, you know, the one who's in charge of the field? Do we trust him with this process that we're in where surely, you know, we, we are surrounded by weeds or sometimes it feels that way. And, and we, we cry out and we ask for justice and, and for his judgment to somehow make things right. Do we trust him in waiting and in, in the end where he, where he does have a plan, where it is going to end well, where he will return and fulfill the kingdom that has come when he came but is not yet finished? Do we trust him with this? This is a big question that I'm sure you'll never stop asking yourself as you go through your life. Right? It's a process and it's a journey of this, of this trust. To be patient to wait upon the Lord, right? He's the only true and perfect 
judge. We wait on him. God's timing is perfect. His ways are higher than mine. So that means that for me, while it seems like everything is just totally unraveling, on his agenda, it's not. His ways are higher than mine. So he calls me to trust him. And this is... This ties into the first part about us having an enemy, right? Because when we, when we hear that we have an enemy and that he's doing bad things, many of us, at least, our first thought is like, oh, yeah, we've got to do something. We've got to fight this battle, right? Like, what should we do? And, and, and we can get so far ahead of ourselves to the point where we're just, we're, we're just saying, like, come on, God, come, come on and judge the world. Let's get this over with and fight this battle here and now, you know, to the teeth. But that's why we find our strength in God, not in our own selves or our own plan for eternity. Um, We should put our trust in the eternal one for eternity. So we turn to him and we do things like putting on the full armor of God, right? We're strong in the one who is strong. Paul understood the pain of, of living amongst weeds, didn't he? It caused him... All kinds of all kinds of pain, you know, real pain and and uh, and trouble. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul teaches this. He says, "Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord." So to me, this is him saying, you know, the result of 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 all of these weeds that have you know been growing up and trying to choke everything out. I'm a prisoner because. Of this cause, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you, this church, to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Then he tells us how. Conduct yourselves with all humility, with gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love. Make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one Spirit. Just as God also called you in one hope, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given his grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. He challenges us to conduct ourselves in in a manner worthy of this calling. The calling is so high, you know. Jesus' grace is, is, is so immense. And this kind of brings us back to the part about growing where we're at, to continue growing, to be good wheat for the harvest. And we realize that this isn't of our, our doing in the first place anyways. It's Jesus, the, the master of the field, who planted the good seeds where they are, right? So this is why it always, you know, it always comes back to him. It always, it, this, everything I'm saying, it keeps coming back to Jesus, I hope. It keeps bringing us back to him, pointing us to him and telling us to lean on him, trust on him, and, and find our growth as Christians in him, as the good crop, crop to grow in him. At the end of that portion of Ephesians, Paul says that we're responding to the grace, right? We respond to this grace by, by doing these things, by being gracious, humble, and patient, and so on. And these actions are, in fact, um, you know, the proof, right, or the signs that that uh, 
the fruit, we call them, the fruits of the Spirit in our own life, that we are growing towards the, the good light that is God. Okay, so the first main idea is that it's, it's a reminder or a warning or maybe just a wake-up call. We have an enemy. You know, he's, he's crafty and his will is, is evil. It's destruction. It's, it's everything bad. You know, the opposite. It's the opposite of what God wants. It's the opposite of God's good plan. And he's doing what he can to, to lead believers astray, to cause us to sin, all those things. And he's doing it while he can. Because like I said, the reality is that Jesus has won the battle. He's coming back. He is victorious. And and so Satan's work will be fully undone. It will be bound up, thrown into the fire to be destroyed, as Jesus put it. But in this current tension of of waiting and anticipating that day where Jesus returns, we still have to be aware, right, of of this fact that... uh, that Satan is, is real and he's, he's fighting in, in every you know, ounce of his strength. He's fighting to, to take down um, us and anybody else away from the kingdom of heaven. And the second idea is to, you know, in hearing that, not to, to necessarily uh, think that we should be, oh, you know, taking it into our own hands or, or, wor- or overly worried or concerned with this process because... Jesus says that he is the judge. He's the one who knows when to uproot the weeds, tie them together, and and get that over with so that his kingdom can come at the perfect time. So we trust him with our sanctification, with living out this life. We lean on him. We're not concerned with with making our own kinds of judgments against who we think the weeds are or whatever. Not to say that we don't care or pay attention not at all, but but the judging, the, the the you know the eternal judgment. That's Jesus' job, and, and and we trust God that He'll take care of them accordingly in the right way. You know, Jesus is essentially promising us justice in this parable, isn't He? He's saying He's saying, "Wait for it, I will." And so, in the meantime, what do we do? We thank God for His grace, right? We thank we thank the the the, the field owner who has, who has planted us where we are. And we watch for his grace and we say thank you for that. And we continue to grow. We seek him. We look, we look to, we fix our eyes on Jesus and we grow in him where he has planted us. And we look forward to the beauty, you know, the glory, the radiance of, of the kingdom that is coming, which Jesus just you know, briefly touched on when, when all tears are wiped away, when all sin is destroyed, when all evil is done away with once and for all. Oh man, the goodness of heaven, we have that to wait for and to, and to give us hope and anticipation in this time where we need the hope and anticipation to spur us onward. So we look forward to this, this time when Jesus comes and the beauty of it and the wonder of the glory of God. Uh, I'll invite the band back up and they will start playing. It's interesting to, you know, be talking about the wonder and glory of the kingdom that is to come when we have uh, these tables of communion, you know, before us. It's that contrast 
Anytime I'm aware of that contrast, it stops me in my tracks, right? The, the beauty and wonder and awe and, and intensity and goodness of God and the kingdom of heaven and the utter humility and, and horrifying nature of the sacrifice that Jesus made, right? The perfect son of God nailed to this cross for our sins. It's, it's, you know, the depths of hell and the heights of heaven. What a, what a, what a contrast. But it's good for us to, to be aware of this, right? As we gather here uh, in remembrance, as Jesus said, to take communion in remembrance of him. So that by doing this, uh, this act of communion, that we might proclaim his name, right? We would proclaim the name of Jesus until he returns. And to proclaim the the the, the beauty of, that we know, right, of, of new life in him, even though uh, we're not living in the kingdom come, but we still have received that in our hearts and in our lives, and we get glimpses of the, the work of God in and amongst us, even though, you know, there are weeds in the field. We still know the, what, it, what it means to be um, in relationship with God and to be loved and grow because of that. Uh, so I offer communion to anyone who chooses to receive it this morning. Uh, it's simple. The, the little cups of juice, they're, they're uh, a symbol of Jesus' blood, right, that was shed on the cross for our sins. And then there's the cracker broken, which represents his, his body broken on the cross for our sins. And to those who might be here and you're hearing, you know, the story, the stuff about Jesus, with the weeds and, and there's the devil and, and there's good fruit and all this stuff and, and you don't know what any of this means. You don't even know, you know, whether you're a good seed or, or the weed in the first place. Well, come to the tables and receive the gift of salvation that Jesus made a way for us to have, you know, by, by laying his life down on the cross, by showing uh, just how much God loves us and wants us to know him, you know, the, the length to which Jesus would go to, to, to bridge that gap between a holy God and a people who are fallen and who need grace. And so as we come to communion, we take it uh, humbly and, and thankfully. And, and we, it's, it's just it's such an such a, uh, extension of grace, right? It's a picture of the grace that, that God has with his arms outstretched to us to invite us to come to the table and to take part in this um, this remembrance and proclamation of the sacrifice of, of his son on the cross.